You're listening to Undo Radio, and today we have Sarah Nguyen. She is the founder of Listening Party, where we record for Undo Radio, but she's also an amazing filmographer, videographer, who recently worked on We Gonna Be Alright, a docuseries with the famed director Jeff Chang, and also recently started her own coffee distribution and coffee roast called Nguyen Coffee Supply. Hey guys, <laughs> Sophia here. Okay, so Sarah, mm-hmm. first of all, thank you so much for hosting us on behalf of Listening Party. Oh my god, of course! And just having us here to be able to, you know, do our podcasts here. We are so grateful to have this platform. We're always honored to have you in the studio, Sophia. So thank you for sharing the space with us. Thanks. Yeah. So how did you? How how did like how did you get involved with like Listening Party? I know I was on a podcast That's with you right. before mm-hmm. that was in uh, that was housed and powered in another space. But yeah. like, it's so funny because initially. When we were thinking of doing the podcast, I was in town and I walked past this little space and I was like, oh, dope. I took a picture of it on my phone. I was like, oh, I'll just ask the Canal Street guys. Yeah. Next thing you know, listening party. Yeah. And you and Pete are on yeah. the email. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, like mind blown. Like, wait, worlds are colliding. Right. This makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, listening party is a partnership that, well, listening party is a network, um, slash podcasting agency that was started by myself and Peter Oasis. Um, we came together about a year and a half ago. Um, and it was a really natural, like, synergy because Peter comes from the whole talent development, talent management, also concert slash live podcast booking background. Um, so he's kind of like the biz dev guy and also a talent management guy. And I really come from the narrative background, film background, storytelling background. So I, like, help a lot with, um, one community initiatives, but also, like, really helping to flesh out the storytelling, the narratives, right? And so when we first came together, it was actually to work on film projects because that's my background mostly. Right. Um, but then if anyone, you know, has worked in film, it's really, really hard to get a film finance. So then we also saw like podcasting emerging and then Peter was already working in live podcasting. And so we decided to take the route of like channeling narratives and storytelling through the podcast avenue. And then also along that way, we could always like translate podcasts, podcasts into film and TV later on. So oh, yeah. So that's kind of how Listening Party um, came to be. And then Canal Street Radio is one of our um, first projects here with Canal Street Market. Um, and you do so much. <laughs> like if, if, if you don't follow Sar- Sarah on Instagram, you really should. It'll make you feel like shit sometimes. No, that's not She's true. that girl. She's that account where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, great. She just, she's working on something new. I'm still working on this thing. Um, which is amazing. And I think there's so much to talk about. When I was preparing today, I was like, uh, where do I even begin? Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, as someone who does so many different things on so many different types of platforms, mm-hmm. it's very clear that your intention and your passion is really what leads you. Mm. So Thank you. I guess my qu- question is like, what kind of lights your path? What's kind of that main beacon that's like that, that keeps it going? Because obviously you're making moves, right. so many moves that people can barely yeah. keep up, which oh, is a great thing. Thank you. Yeah. I think that you know, I, I've had people kind of have like a similar reaction where it's like, oh my God, you're doing so many different things. Like, wait, what? How does that connect to this? Like, how does a restaurant connect to your filmmaking? How does a coffee company connect to media? Like, 
people are initially kind of surprised because I think we live in a society where people are kind of like conditioned to like pursue one pathway. And I've always really more identified with the path of like a polymath. And I think growing up, I always felt really insecure about that. I was like, oh, I'm a jack of all trade, master of none, right? And I, I would really beat myself up over like, why can't you just have a focus? Like, why can't you just have one path? Like you're doing too many things. But I hear you. Right. But I would because you do so many things, too. Right. I hear you. And so I would feel really guilty and I felt like something was wrong with me until I finally just like let that expectation or that conditioning go. And I embraced who I was, which was, you know, a polymath and a multi-platform creator. And like at my core through it all, I, I am an artist and a storyteller. And so and I have many platforms where I channel that, whether it's restaurants or food or coffee or film and media. And I think going back to your question, like really the one like beacon of light for it all for me is like my activism right because that was really my my foundation as a high school student I got involved with youth organizing and community activism at a young age as a teenager and that has always propelled like um my my work and that was really a big part of my life all going throughout undergrad as well I specifically went to UCLA because I wanted to major in Asian American studies and I wanted to do more community organizing and also campus organizing and well so, the biggest thing too yeah. sorry to go ahead no go ahead. a lot of times like people I, I, I can only imagine like being in college and choosing this major because you oh, yeah. you know you got the energy you got the fire in you yeah. and like you see the inequality and yep. you're like yeah this is it but it's like to really apply it after mm -hmm. your studies is a whole different journey and I yeah. feel like not only have you you know obviously found the projects that works mm -hmm. for you but like to really keep that conversation going and yeah. actually get it done yeah it's a tricky part like start having you know we'll dive into it later on but like having your own coffee roasting situation and yeah. your own what's the best way to um it? we're an importer roasting and distribution company that is not some simple yeah it's been endeavor it's challenging it's been challenging and yeah. many people choose only one thing and then do it mm -hmm. and even with the docuseries it's like one thing yeah. and they do it but yeah. it's like so so sorry to cut you no, off but no, you said the whole beacon of light what really was leading with activism. Yeah, activism and, you know, Asian American studies. I was first exposed to Asian American studies and ethnic studies and social movements at a young age. And I felt like that experience, exposure helped me really find my confidence and helped me find my voice. And so I've always attributed and credited so much of my work and my values to social justice. And even, you know, you talked about how I apply Asian American studies post-grad. You know, even when I was studying the major of course my parents were really unhappy about it and naturally everyone's like what are you going to do with the Asian American studies major post-grad and I never had an expectation to for my major to be a direct translation into my career um I one I don't think our system is designed to like be like major into career I really took my my studies and my time with undergrad as a way to like make myself and my brain the most powerful version it can be and for me I found that through activism and ethnic studies because it was all about building my critical thinking skills it was all about finding my voice it was all about empowering myself and with those like assets I could do anything right right and as I have like I channel that those values and that that way of thinking through everything that I work on um so yeah what was your question again? That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's just like, like it's great. You yeah. know, the idea of activism um, is really leading everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So let's <coughs> see. What else do we have here? And like, I think this idea, 
this I so it's funny because I also uh, I find higher life have been told like you're doing too much. Just mm-hmm. choose one thing and be good at that versus mm-hmm. like you said master of none. Yep. Um but I recently would have this little answer in my head which would I feel like would sound too snooty or like too gassed yeah. and my answer would be like just because they can't do it all doesn't mean I can't. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. But it's like I I feel so almost rude right, <laughs> to right. like, say that to people. Yeah. But um, but it's so great to hear yeah. that someone else is totally in the same boat as well. And I think that people are just like how we feel that way. I feel like people are just wired in different ways, but we've never been taught that it's okay to be all these different ways. We've been taught that it's you should just be one way. And that's why folks like us who are like more multi-talented and, you know, so multi-dimensional, we feel it's it's hard for us to embrace it. But in actuality... There's nothing wrong with being, you know, multi-talented and embracing right. all of that. Yeah. And a lot of that journey, for myself at least, is also just going through trial and error mm-hmm. and just going, well, let me just try. I might be good at it and I might love it. I might hate mm-hmm. it. And and that's always like the best way to test yeah. things out. I have a question for you. Okay. So since we both resonate on like being, you know, multi-talented and multi-dimensional, multi-platform in our work. And I, it's really cool that you just say things like that. I'm like getting nervous. I was get so nervous to like use those words to describe. I'm really bad at like. Well, I, I actually just got that confidence to say that because you just said, oh, "Well, thanks. just because I, you know, I was like, oh, let's rip off of that. Let's just dust each other's yeah. shoulders off, right? No all big deal. Day, yep. So you know, in respect to all of like the multi talents that we embrace and we push forward, what are your thoughts on focus, like? Do you believe that if we had channeled or if we channel our focus into one path or endeavor, it would amplify the effectiveness of the project or the success of it? Or do you believe that we could focus on many things and they could all be as equally successful? So it's interesting that you say that because um, uh, in my life, I have a really bad, I feel like I'm being in the podcast. This is not how we're supposed to do it, but it's fine. We'll see how Jamie mixes it up. Um, In my experience and just a life, I have a really bad problem cutting people off. Like I'm always cutting people Are off you, in conversation. Oh yeah. Okay. But it's because I'm asking a question, you're answering it. I'm already thinking about the next question mm. so slash all the other things. Mm. And I recently had um, the pleasure of speaking on a panel with Dong Ping Wong. Have you heard of him? No. So he's this amazing architect. He's done a lot of great work with like Kanye and Off White and like in in the creative space. We've we've seen a lot of his work, but didn't even realize it. Um, and one thing he mentioned was that he's really good at kind of just focusing on one thing, and he he has. He needs his own creative time to transition from one project to another. Mm. So from a client project to a personal project. Like Mm. he needs a duration of time more than 24 hours. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's interesting because I can do that within milliseconds. And like, (laughs) and it's, and initially I realized it is a gift, but also problematic. It's almost like a a superpower you Mm -hmm. have to control because. I will go from so many different topics and different projects all at the same time and everything coming into my inbox, which is a great gift, but also strongly affects my focus and my Mm. ability to focus. Obviously, productivity has Mm. a huge play into it. Oh, Um, so the way that that we use the way that you like utilize like all of like, you know, your superpowers, does that mean that you're losing on some of the productivity? No, I'm, I'm, I'm using productivity apps and the idea of working efficiently in a way to champion that thinking. Mm. So like, 
you know, having a notebook to write down my thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we use Trello, we use Slack, we started using Todoist, which is like a list managing mm -hmm. app. We have so many different apps that we use to be able to com compartmentalize our thinking um, and also to just have things be a specific train of thought. And, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of that is really just maturity, too. That's really like good. professional I love all maturity. Those apps. Yeah. I'm also teaching a class, which will be out soon. I'll send you a link for that. On Skillshare? On Skillshare, Yay. yeah. Really all about. Um, the business side of creativity to to stay organized and focused on stuff. So but important. the other thing that also came about was a book that I'm reading. It's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh -huh. My dad sent me that. By Stephen Covey. The book cover is horrible, but it is one of the most amazing books that you can possibly read. Yeah. And there's a segment in there that talks about the Eisenhower Matrix, which is really cool. I'll show it to you after. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and also send it to you. Yes. Um, I was like looking at it today because I was having lunch with a friend, but really talking about the different ways that we treat urgent things versus non-urgent versus mm -hmm. busy work versus like not busy work mm -hmm. because it's so difficult to be conscious of like when we're being pulled like oh someone is calling me but then there's a notification and that and yeah. like we live in this dig digital age versus you know having everything in a notebook and just mm -hmm. focusing on what's there in mm -hmm. front of you and a lot of it is just trial and error and balance yeah. of figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. So I'm I'm really big on on that in terms of prioritizing what's urgent and what's not urgent. I'm huge on my mind share and like what I give my mind share to and when I give it to. So the things that are most important to me, I give that in the early part of my day. So I I turn all my notifications off on my apps because I don't want to see it. Um, I use I mark I love the whole like mark as unread feature in my emails because I love being able to kind of like take a glimpse at it, but then I'll mark as unread because I don't want to reply to it right away um i leave my red receipts on on all my texts because i don't care that people see that i've read it um and i don't reply Same. right because i'm like i'll read it to kind of to make sure it's not an emergency but i'm gonna reply when i want to reply and um um and like no one is entitled to my time right but yeah so the prioritization of what's urgent and not urgent um is great and it's huge for like not just um productivity it's not and it's great not just for productivity but also like what's effectiveness and like how to best place your best mind and brain on the things that you want right it, yeah i mean it's, it's a lot of ma professional maturity and yeah. also self-awareness to know you know yeah. this isn't working for me i'm actually getting really antsy from all yes. the notifications and not so were there any experiences that you can think of where you were just like uh mm. like that obviously drove you to take those actions mm. to create boundaries for yourself or to turn off your notifications yeah you, you were saying it takes you were saying that all this really points to maturity, self-awareness, and also health and sustainability, right? Um, sustainability is huge. And sustainability, yes. yeah. So to your question, I can't think of like one moment, but I do, I was noticing that like I was giving so many things my attention all the time. It was starting to show up physically where like I started clenching my jaws a lot, which I didn't grow up doing. So I noticed that my jaws were clenching a lot and I was getting a lot of tension like behind my ears, my neck, and my shoulders. And I just knew that was a result of me just like constantly like it's just going too fast, right? Especially the jaw clenching, which was a really a big sign for me. Um, and you know, I'd find myself like checking my, my Instagram or email, like when I'm still in bed, like my eyes barely open, right? It's like that addiction to it. Do you it. have a copy of the last issue of the magazine? I don't. Because we talk a lot about this. Really? We'll make sure you get it. Okay, yeah. yes. All right, we I will get that. We talk a lot about that from blue light exposure for your eyes. It's so bad. Yes. It's so bad. And, and and I do it because it's kind of like a habit slash like muscle memory, but I know it's bad, so I'm trying to train myself to not do those things. Um, but yeah, I think it was really when the physical signs started showing up, that's when I was like reprioritizing. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of that is also conditioning as well, which I'm sure you already know too. Is like when when we're physically stressed in this modern day and age, our mm-hmm. body responds just like if we were to see a tiger, yeah, and, and like chasing after us back yeah. in the day. So our hormonal and chemical reaction is actually the same whether mm-hmm. we're in traffic, we're getting overwhelmed by emails and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you know. Literally, you don't even notice how much tension your body holds onto. Right. And sometimes, you know, if you get a massage, it'll be like, oh, I had no idea that was that sore. Yeah. And the best one that I experience is like, if I ever get my nails done, they're like, relax, relax. My finger is oh like this God. the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And you're like, I didn't even realize I was that yeah. tense. Yeah. This is so sad. And like, I'm so grateful when my body does show these signs. I'm like, oh, thank you for letting me know. Like, I got to listen to these signs. And so, um, yeah, it's really amazing how your body, um, reacts to all these things and a big part of that too again going back to the idea of self-awareness is like when we're freelancers or business owners or creatives the problem is we love what we do Mm -hmm. we love what we do so much that we push way past our threshold and and sometimes we ignore what our body's telling us right you know whether you need to use the restroom whether you need to be hydrated maybe you're just pumping in too much caffeine into your body whether you need to sleep it's like Mm -hmm. let me push past that let me push past that and that's actually conditioning ourselves and over time can be very detrimental to our health especially as freelancers because we don't necessarily have like that traditional nine to five structure so we're always on right and we're always going around the clock yeah right well, let's talk about some of the things you're working on now. Okay. There's, I mean, there's so much to go with, <laughs> but um, you recently started a docu-series yes. called The Zombie Right. Yep. Um, and it's really focusing on the idea of segregation and mm-hmm. groups within the U.S., which uh, has definitely been a very eye-opening experience for myself, having been in L.A. recently, mm-hmm. because I grew up in New York, especially Queens, which yeah. is a huge melting pot, like yep. a perfect example of a melting pot where... You're not really special, you know, right. like everyone is so mixed and it's such a beautiful way to learn from everyone's cultures. Mm-hmm. So what kind of started that? Obviously, activism is a huge talking yeah. point, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to clarify, I, it's not my series. I didn't start this series myself. I came on board as a co-producer. It was created by Jeff Chang, who is this, you know, legendary writer um, who writes a lot around critical race theory and hip hop. Um, he wrote, you know, Classic text, We um, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, one of the biggest books in hip-hop history. I feel like everything is named after, like, a hip-hop song. Right? Well, <laughs> that's his jam, right? He was, right. like, really... He used to write for Vibe magazine. So he's really been in the scene for a while. Um, and the series, We Gonna Be Alright, is based off of his book by the same title. And then the other co-creator is a director by the name of Bao Nguyen, another Nguyen, Um yeah, and so the the series explores, like you said, themes of, you know, race and resegregation through the lens of pop culture in Hollywood, the housing crisis in the Bay Area, specifically Silicon Valley. And you guys are focusing on POC overall, right? Um, well, we're or just well, because we're talking about resegregation and race, it's it's inherently and naturally POC heavy in terms of the experiences we're talking about. Um, education is another theme and then activism isn't a theme. And yeah, I would say that majority of folks that we talked to and, and interviewed were POCs because we're hearing about their experiences around race and seg- segregation. So that just came out this, oh, last month. It went by so fast. It just premiered last month. We did a whole like festival premiere week through LA and New York. And now you can find it online through um, Indie Lens Storycast. Um, we'll drop the link in the caption, but yeah, yeah, you can find all four episodes online. Amazing. Yeah. 
So yeah. are you guys planning on doing more? What's been what's been kind of the I don't want to say feedback, but the response is based yeah. on Yeah. Um, we are, we keep joking about season two. So it's definitely, we're trying to make that happen. Feedback has been great because during premiere week, we hosted like a bunch of community screenings and conversations in LA, SF, and New York. And it's just been so amazing to kind of like engage with people and have these conversations around like race and like, are we going to be all right? You know, like we're living during a time where like we feel like, you know, on a surface level, it feels like diversity is so popping and trendy and it's very pre- prevalent in a lot of like mainstream media conversations. But at the same time, we're living during a time where there's just so much um, alienation and um fear and xenophobia and hatred and actually a lot of segregation we look at our community like a lot of segregation in the school system you know in the workplace i mean um you know with the abortion ban like there's a lot of segregation happening and so it's just been sparking this conversation of like what's happening and what can we all do to move into a direction where we will be all right you know um so what's yeah. the resolution you guys have found I mean, as a threat? Yeah, I think from everyone we've talked to during these community screenings, like I think a lot of the common like thoughts and feedback has been we are going to be all right, but it's going to take a lot of fucking work to get there. And in the process of being all right, a lot of people will not be all right, right? A lot of people will continue to be targeted and torn apart from their families or be refused certain pay or be refused abortion, right? I think in the overall, like, arc of justice, like, we, because there's so many people fighting out there, like, we will move there. But it doesn't mean that a lot of people aren't going to be hurt um, and really traumatized in the process. So, yeah, and, you know, Jeff's work is, to me, I've been a fan of Jeff's work since I was in high school, so it's, it was amazing to work with him, and I love that we're able to now bring his voice and his vision to a younger audience to have these conversations, because otherwise he's heavily in, like, texts and books in the classroom. So it's been really good to kind of, and the, if you watch it, what I really love about the series is that it's really just a bunch of questions, right? Um, it, it doesn't force or force anything onto you. It just poses a lot of questions for the viewer to think about what's happening. And it really kind of um, engages the audience in a way where it's like, what are you going to do, right? Like, how are we going to be all right? Yeah, I think it's really, it, it, it's great that, you know, in this day and age, in the recent years, that there's just been so much communication mm-hmm. happening on, mm-hmm. on these types of topics. And one thing I really like to point out, at, at least like pertaining to the women's movement overall, is it's great that people are fighting and it's such such an important time and sensitive time. But at the same time, at the same time, <laughs> we have to recognize that so many traditions are being overthrown, mm-hmm. right? So, so mm-hmm. our system and our world that has been operating for hundreds of years in a certain format, whether it's gender roles or religion practices to, um, you know, even, even when it comes to a topic like segregation in mm-hmm. America, if we're talking about real estate, that was specifically planted. Our education system and how um, schools are being funded all is all based on real estate and all mm-hmm. of that comes down to unfortunately racial segregation and yeah. our history here yeah. but at the same time it's great that all this movement and energy is moving towards that but at the same time we kind of got to give ourselves some leeway too because it's not going to happen overnight right. it took hundreds of years for it to become this way people are frustrated mm-hmm. and now we're trying to make that change and so it's inevitable that um, you know there's going to be martyrs yeah. so you can say in yeah. this situation yeah 
Um, and even on the topic of POC, I was just talking with friends recently about what's the recent movie that like Ali Wong always be my maybe. So when that came out, you know, my, my girlfriends and I were texting about it and they're like, oh, my gosh, I cried when I watched it. And I was like, I can't even watch it because I think I'm going to cry. Oh, like when I saw the trailer, it made me so tear good. up, yeah. not because of the romance idea, by all means, mm -hmm. but because I didn't even realize I needed to see see something like this to mm -hmm. know that it exists mm -hmm. simply from the fact that it was a full cast of asian people mm -hmm. majority of them all speak english mm -hmm. like that's unheard of right and i didn't even realize that that was unheard of right. i didn't yeah. even realize i needed to see something like like yeah. that to, to have that representation and realize that there is a lack of mm -hmm. representation yeah a lot of my friends have been responding the same way where it's just been such an in intense and deeply emotional like experience and watching bizarre. this rom-com yeah because yeah. it's a rom-com but it's so powerful because like you said nothing like this has ever existed before and, and 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 it shows because we're so affected by it right so talking a little bit about your asian roots as well yeah. you recently started your own coffee roasters yep. and distribution company called mm -hmm. nuance coffee supply how did how long have you been working on that so I started conceiving the idea in 2016, and then in the fall of 16, October, was the first time I went to go visit my f the farm, which is the farm that I work with in Da La, Vietnam. And then it kind of like sat in the back burner for all of 17, and then like finally by the end of 17, I was like, all right, it's just time to like pull the trigger and make this happen. So then I like committed to it, and then I built it all of 2018. Um, like BTS from the ground up, and then I launched it in November 2018. So I want to rewind a little bit. Yes. When you were at the lot in the farm, yeah. What did what was going through your mind to I'll, like even decide be like to even have this idea of like I when I was at it. the farm? Yeah. I or like even idea. when you could, what brought you? Yeah. To that, place? I had the idea before because you know I had a small restaurant in Bushwick that was around for several years called Lucy's Vietnamese Kitchen. And, you know, I've been in New York since 2012, and anyone who's been in New York can, well, well, anyone who's been in New York can see that there's been a huge emergence of Vietnamese food and culture in the, the food scene here. And so it was really exciting to witness that and also be a part of it in a small way through fast casual Vietnamese food at Lucy's Vietnamese Kitchen. Um, and at the same time, I was noticing that, like, Vietnamese coffee specifically like Vietnamese iced coffee was becoming really trendy and buzzy right so I was like oh this is pretty cool but and it was showing up on like coffee shops and restaurants that were that weren't even Vietnamese American right so I was like oh this something is happening here this is getting really buzzy but then Sophia what I noticed is that a lot of these places were doing it wrong they were kind of taking like their house drip or cold brew um, and it was oftentimes a really like high acidic sour bean, like maybe from Ethiopia or from, you know, Colombia, like a non-Vietnamese country. And they would add in condensed milk to it and call it Vietnamese iced coffee. Well, how is it supposed to, just so our listeners know, mm -hmm. how is it supposed to taste like? So, I don't drink it because it's too sugary. I'm like overwhelmed. Right. <laughs> and the reason why it's so sugary is because a lot of folks are making it wrong because they're using really poor quality coffee. Um, and so they're trying to mask the bitterness of the coffee, right? So well, there are two things I want to point out. Two, in America, the experience of Vietnamese coffee slash Vietnamese iced coffee 
is a beverage, and that is a result of um, a Vietnamese-American experience, right, an immigrant experience. That's just been, like, the evolution, right? Um, however, there's a distinction between that as a product of America, the beverage, and Vietnamese coffee as the Vietnamese coffee bean that's grown in Vietnam, right, and also a Vietnamese coffee culture that's experienced in Vietnam. So generally, Vietnamese coffee, um, historically and traditionally, is very bold and nutty and chocolatey tasting coffee um, that's enjoyed with condensed milk or sometimes just black and with ice, right? Um, so those are the two distinctions. And for me, I just felt like a lot of folks wanted to kind of hop on this trend, but they weren't really taking the time to learn about Vietnamese coffee. And I understand they weren't taking the time to learn about Vietnamese coffee. And, you know, most importantly, if folks here wanted to benefit from a trend such as, such as Vietnamese coffee, the producers of Vietnamese coffee and or the culture should also, should also benefit be getting the money too. of that transaction, mm -hmm. right? So Vietnamese producers and even Vietnam as a country was totally cut out of that equation, right? right. Even culturally, so, like culturally. if we're talking about appropriation, if we want to throw that word out there, there right. is an element of that to like at least make sure it's coming full circle. Exactly. And then into my research, I realized that there was, into my research, I realized that I could not find fresh roasted Vietnamese coffee beans anywhere in New York or the country, right? So then it was like, okay, well, some leeway for folks who are trying to offer it. They can't even buy Vietnamese coffee beans anywhere. So then that's when I thought came up with the idea of like, well, what would it taste like to offer like a fresh roasted Vietnamese coffee bean? And so then that's when I thought about importing them and then roasting it in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a, <laughs> cool. <laughs> what a jump. That's awesome. And how's, how's everything going now? I know you had officially launched, um, at, over at Anchoy, maybe yes. you can chat a little about, about that. And, yeah. and you guys just launched a month ago or a um, couple months tenth. ago. It's April 10th. April 10th. so fast. Yeah, almost wow. two months now. Oh, Amazing. And insane. how's that been? So um, NCS, the Union Coffee Supply, launched in November. And that's like an e-commerce platform as well as a B2B wholesale and B2C um, company. We launched our retail experience called Cafe Fiend on April 10th at Anchoy, which is a low east side staple. It's been there for 10 years, Vietnamese American restaurant. And that's been amazing because I realized what was happening was that, um, you know, selling the beans online and selling it to companies, it just wasn't enough. Then there needed to be a lot of education around one Vietnamese coffee as a bean, the different specimens of beans being Arabica and Robusta and the different ways to brew it. I really wanted to expand on people's understanding of Vietnamese coffee from the beverage of just condensed milk to like Vietnamese coffee being a bean and you could brew it as a drip through Fien, which is a traditional method, through a French press, through a pour over, through a Chemex, all of it, right? So expanding what we could do with it. And then I created a menu that offers Vietnamese coffee beans and all these brews and all these different styles. And it's been going really well. The feedback has been really overwhelmingly positive. People are just one if you're just a coffee enthusiast, people are excited about a new flavor profile. And two, um, if you're, you know, just a, a consumer, it's like a, a, an exciting new product. I love coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what would you say would be like, a, have you guys like um, dabbled with the idea of food pairings with it? Oh, we have not are yet. There, is there anything traditionally in Vietnam that... Um, that people traditionally, I don't know, not traditionally, eat with but like, yeah, yeah. Eat, eat with, with, the, with the that coffee. specific profile of coffee. Mm, from my experience of being in Vietnam, there isn't really a food pastry pairing with coffee. And usually people will eat breakfast um, at a breakfast stand, whether that's like pho or like another noodle soup or something else, and then they go have their coffee 
at a separate place. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's not really a pastry thing. I mean, traditionally, that's from what I've seen, but that's changing a lot. Yeah, yeah. it could be something fun to explore. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, oh, what's next? So, like, plans to expand, like, obviously so much in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's hard <laughs> to fully wrap your head around it. Yeah. You know, started in November. The whole th- I mean, well, launched uh, on e-com in November. Mm-hmm. You've been working on it for two years. You got your brick and mortar vibe going with very awesome hours. Um, are you making any plans to have your own standalone at all or what what's happening next? Yeah. So, you know, my vision with NCS is to grow it to become the biggest coffee company in the world. Yes. Yeah. And there's so many, you know, and when I say that, there's so many avenues to take it, you know, continuing with the e-commerce direct-to-consumer route, continuing with more B2B wholesale accounts, so supplying all the cafes and restaurants and, you know, markets with this coffee supply, um, collaborating with other brands who want their own coffee, um, and also doing like co-branding and co packaging and not quite private labeling because transparency is a, a big um a, a big not quite private labeling because transparency is very important to me but maybe like a, a more of a cold labeling where we can have their branded coffees along with transparency about eating these coffee um so definitely there's a lot to work with ncs in terms of the retail experience i definitely want my own brick and mortar very soon you know on has been phenomenal and I would love to grow into my own space where I can have more room to be creative and ex- explore and offer like a food program as well. Well, I'm very excited to finally check it out tomorrow yes, I after can't following wait. it on Instagram for so long. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we're going to close with two questions. Okay. One is, how do you like your coffee? Mm. If I'm making it at home, I have a If there's an express machine, I really enjoy a latte with a little condensed milk. If I'm enjoying it at Cafe Fiend, I really enjoy an attritional Cafe Da, which is um, Vietnamese coffee brewed through the Fiend, which is slow drip with condensed milk and ice. Amazing. Yeah. And how do you undo ordinary? Mm. I should have prepared for this. That's a good question. How do I undo That's a question we ask everyone all the time, whether it's a paper interview for the magazine or also in podcasts. And really that stems from the idea of like, I don't want to say swimming against the current, but like, what are you undoing in in terms of your norm or or their norm that Mm -hmm. you're often surrounded by? Mm -hmm. Well, specifically speaking with NCS, what I'm undoing is, you know, entering the coffee industry Vietnamese coffee and robusta beans from Vietnam had such a terrible and negative reputation in the industry, actually. And as I was starting it, I faced a lot of people who were like, "Ugh, what are you doing? You're importing Vietnamese coffee beans? That's so gross." Why is that? It's it's so long. I don't know if we have time for it, but it, basically, it's tied into you know the corporate control of. Um, the Vietnamese coffee industry for many, many, many decades. Um, Vietnamese coffee producers have been, you know, tied up to corporations who want to create and output a cheap product on the market, which could be instant coffee or shelf coffee, which means they, they're only willing to pay X amount for the coffee beans. So then these producers in Vietnam get stuck in a cycle of poverty because they don't have the resources or the investment um, to elevate their own farming techniques and elevate their quality of life, right? Mm. So the product is cheap because the corporations choose to output that and then the reputation then transfers to Vietnamese right. coffee being, well, Vietnamese coffee is cheap coffee, 
But that's not, it's not. It's the product is cheap product and Vietnamese coffee is Vietnamese coffee. Now, I will say that because of the, because of lack of regulation, because of lack of investment, there are a lot of dangers for the consumer when coffee beans are not being properly grown, right? right. So I think, so So if there has been a negative experience or reputation with Vietnamese coffee beans, um, there's probably an ounce of truth in there, but it's much more complicated than that, right? So yeah, undoing that, that undoing that narrative, undoing that industry, undoing that whole system that, um, and and working to create a system that elevates everyone involved from the cons- from the producer end to the consumer end. Amazing. Get it, girl. Thanks, boo. <laughs> this episode of Undo Radio is presented in partnership with Listening Party. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market.